you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. We're back. Another edition of the Huddle and Flow podcast. I'm Steve White with my dude... Jim Trotter. Jim, interesting week here. We saw a, a lot of blowouts for the first time. Some teams, I think there were seven games where teams did not even reach 20 points in this era of offenses. I'm not saying it was necessarily great defense because those are mostly blowout ball games. We got the Titans rolling. We got Romeo Cornell asking us, is it two, two, go for two or not? Uh, Falcons get their first win. A lot of real interesting things. Uh, going on here, but let's let's start fresh, and that was the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, once again, we're saying, "Wow, this doesn't necessarily look like the dynamic big play offense that we saw last year, Jim." But defenses are not allowing them the big plays. So, what do they do against a good Bills team? They go there and just maul them into the ground. Yeah, and I think that's what's so impressive about a guy like Andy Reid. Um, you know, he has that beautiful football mind where he can design pass plays that can get anyone open really and yet he and Patrick Mahomes both understand that there are certain situations where it's not about putting the ball in the air and it's about imposing your will on the ground and I thought that was particularly impressive that they would go into Buffalo and do that and Steve what it made me think about truthfully is that now next week they get Le'Veon Bell who when I envision him saying Andy Reid's four-minute offense or in certain spot situations where Andy will want to sort of establish that run game, that power game, that sort of thing. Um, I think he's going to fit in beautifully with that. And I know him going to Kansas City, I was told, was all about one person, and that was Andy Reid, and that was about Andy Reid's mind, offensive mind, his ability to put his players 
in positions to make plays. So um, that was an impressive win by Kansas City, and they only get stronger from here. Jim, that's such a great point because Lev Bell, we, we know how he, he's a power runner, but he's somebody who can hit it in the open field. Um, great receiver out of the backfield, not yes. just swing passes and stuff. I mean, he can he can hit that, you know, the wheel routes, he can get upfield. I think in this offense, he's going to be great. Plus, his attitude is going to be so healthy because he's going to be back with a winner again. I mean, it was clear he just thought Adam Gase was a joke. I mean, I've never seen – we haven't seen too many guys just their head coaches like the way he dissed Adam Gase. Uh, with the yeah. Jets. So I think coupled in that environment, he's going to be out of sight. Oh, no question. I, I believe that as well. And in talking to some of his Jets teammates privately, they tell me that he still has it. Now, he may not be at that Pittsburgh level, but they say he still has the ability to make plays and be effective. And it's interesting when you mention his receiving skills, you are spot on. I'll never forget Todd Haley, then the offensive coordinator of the Steelers, telling me that Lev Bell could be a number two receiver, he felt in this league that his hands were that good and he had the ability to run routes so imagine him now in in Andy Reid's offense even if he is not that same player that he was in Pittsburgh and to me I do believe there is some slippage but I still believe there is enough there that he can be a difference maker and help this team make another run Ooh, and if he gets down that only adds another feather in Eric Bianami's cap because you know Eric's <laughs> Eric's specialty is coaching running backs. But speak, speaking of running backs, we've got a little years on him. You know, we always say, oh, these running backs, they get to the second contract. You just don't know. Uh Derek Henry is giving everybody the stiff arm <laughs> with that. What do you have like 250 plus combined yards in that overtime win over Houston? Yeah, pretty darn close. Here's the thing with him, Steve. It's like he is leading the league in rushing by a large margin. And when you look at him right now, he's averaging, what, 135 rush yards per game since week 10 of, of last year. And that's the most in the NFL. And he is not let up at all this year, which is which is impressive. Going back again to, to um, since week 10 of 2019, think about these numbers. He's averaging 24 carries per game, first in the NFL. Rush yards per game, 135, first in the NFL. Yards per carry, 5.7, first in the NFL. Rush TDs, 16, first in the NFL. And that's among backs who have at least 150 carries. So he is getting it done now. And right now he is the only player, non or I should say non-quarterback in my opinion, who's even in that discussion for MVP because he is putting a hurting on people. Yeah, I mean, and you think about it, Jim, you know, so many teams, like the running backs, just aren't getting the touches, right? They're just – and they're not hitting the big plays. We're not seeing a ton of explosive runs. Derrick Henry's doing it all. When I look at the best running backs, you know, Tim, uh, Josh Jacobs, uh, you know, is absolutely getting it done with the Raiders. But you don't say to yourself, man, we've got seven or eight – even though there's seven or eight guys who are very capable um, of doing it, teams just aren't using them, especially in this season when points are going through the roof the way that they're necessarily using Derrick Henry. But – Jim, he's not he's not all. I mean, he put the Titans on his back. But Ryan Tannehill, man, we can sit here <laughs> all day long. And it's interesting because we're going to have Kimberly Martin of ESPN um, on here a little bit later on. And, you know, we're going to – she used to cover the Jets for a long time. We're going to talk about um, Adam Gase because we have to talk about how that's just <laughs> not working and how since he got away from Miami and got in with Arthur Smith – and what they have done offensively to to just open things up, namely getting him some receivers and some protection, 
man, he's playing so well. I mean, this game next week with the Titans and Steelers, Jim, this could be this could be an AFC, this could be an AFC conference championship type game. Oh, no question. It's going to be fun, Stephen. You're absolutely right about Ryan Tannehill and, and getting away from Adam. And I think it goes back to something you and I have talked about a lot, where I think in the media and in the public, the court of public opinion, we always give up on players too quick and we call them busts and we say that they can't play or this, that and the other. And we, we don't take into account the circumstances that they've been put into. And so now you see a Ryan Tannehill who gets to a club that knows how to utilize his skill set and he is simply flourishing. I mean, think about these. Let me, let me give you some numbers, Steve. So he's now had 15 starts for the Titans going back to last season. In those 15 starts total, 3,966 3, yards passing, 40 total touchdowns, just seven interceptions. I mean, that's mind-boggling. And, and the Titans are 12-3 and three in those games. Now let's come to this year. And, and this is why I say he now has to enter into the MVP conversation. The Titans are 5-0. and oh. Four of those games, four of those victories, he led them on either the tying score or the winning score late in those games. Now let's look at other numbers with him. Um, this past Sunday was the second game this year where he had four TD passes. He hadn't done that once in the previous four and a half seasons. He's now had three games this year where he had three TD passes, tying him for second behind Russell Wilson, who has had four of those games. Now, he's never had a season where he's had four games with three or more TD passes in it. So we'll see if he if he surpasses that. But here's the stat that's really critical to me for um, Ryan Tannehill and for quarterbacks in general. Look in the red zone. In the red zone, 12 TD passes, no interceptions, a 133.3 passer rating. That's insane. So that's crazy in the red zone. Yeah. So he's playing with tremendous confidence. And and the other thing is, like we talk about the Titans as if they're old school football, right? And and in this day and age of putting the ball up and throwing downfield and this, that, and the other, anyone who doesn't do that is looked at sort of this 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 outsider, if you will. But in it in his 10 starts last year, they averaged 30.4 points per game. This year, they're averaging 32.8, which is second in the NFL behind only Seattle. So they are getting it done in every way, on the ground, in the air. And the only thing I think that could um, trip them up is that if you look at defensively, they have not played great. And that's why Ryan has had to be Superman down the stretch. And the other thing is their kicking game has not been consistent. And, and that can hurt you in the postseason. But short of that... Sunday's going to be fun watching the Titans and the Steelers face off. And I'm, I'm almost glad that game got pushed back now because it, it has given it more time to marinate in these teams to create the narratives around their clubs, which is going to make Sunday a lot of fun. And to think about it, Jim, at one point, Ryan Tannehill had Jarvis Landry, Devontae Parker, and Kenny Stills at his disposal. Those are the types of receivers where you can put up those types of numbers. So, again, we'll get to Adam Gase a little bit later on. <laughs> real, real quick, though, about quarterbacks possibly changing teams and getting a fresh start. Dwayne Haskins and Sam Darnold. To me, these are two young quarterbacks who may not be with their clubs next year, depending on, let's say, the Jets get the first pick and have Trevor Lawrence and they decide to move him. What about those scenarios? Because we saw – you know, Josh Rosen get traded and he just hasn't materialized. But these two guys here look like they seem that they can play. And if they get with the right systems, 
maybe they could have a resurgence like Ryan Tannehill. Look, I don't think there's any question that Haskins won't be back in Washington next year. I think that die has been cast um, by the way this entire situation was handled. And we can discuss whether it was handled wisely or poorly. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that they don't believe in Ryan Haskins, and, or I'm sorry, um, um, Dwayne Haskins, and therefore he won't be back next year. With Sam Darnold, that one's interesting from this standpoint. I think when we talk about these two quarterbacks, he has shown that he can play in this league, regardless of all the things around him. And when you talk to teammates, they tell you he's the real deal. I will never forget Frank Gore telling me he's probably the most cerebral quarterback he has played with since Andrew Luck. said he understands what everyone is doing, where they need to be, all of those things. So, but here's the deal. If you're the Jets and you have the first pick in the draft and you have a chance to get what's considered to be a generational quarterback in Teddy Lawrence, and you get him Tre- now. Trevor Lawrence, right. Trevor Lawrence, I'm sorry. And you get him now on year one of a rookie deal versus a Sam, um, um, a Sam Darnold, who is now, what, three years into a rookie deal, knowing you're going to have to make a decision fairly soon on that fifth-year option, you're probably going to go with Trevor Lawrence, trade uh, Darnold, try and get draft capital for him, and be able to rebuild with a, with a wider window um, with Lawrence. So um, I don't think it's foolish to talk about that at all because I think it, it could be a real possibility if the Jets continue on this path. Well, Jim, let's continue this conversation, and let's bring in our good friend, Kimberly Martin. From ESPN, again, she covered the Jets for a long time. She covered the Washington football team for a long time and the Buffalo Bills before they were this version of the Buffalo Bills. So let's bring in Kimberly, Jim. Jim, we are now joined by our girl, ESPN's Kimberly EY. Martin, Kimberly, thanks for joining JT and I here on the Huddling Flow podcast. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. Can I first say, seriously, before Jim says anything smart, I'm going to cut him off at the past. I actually am very, very thankful that you guys asked me to be on. You know how I feel about you. You know I love you guys. You guys are my mentors. Standards of how to do the job the right way in this biz. We need more guys like you. So uh, I appreciate you. Love you. Thank you. So, Jim, go ahead and say something smart after I complimented you. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you first. I will. Well, for th- again, thank you first, but also, you know, our first female guest on the podcast, other than Soledad, other than well, Soledad. She's, yes, she's amazing. Yes. And I secondly, I had to stop and pause for a minute when Steve said of ESPN, and I just had to go Here through my go. mental checklist Here to make go. sure. Is that actually where she is now? You know, yeah, because she'll be, somewhere, she'll be somewhere else in like three months. She, wow. She's that comet that just keeps climbing and climbing and climbing. And so, you know, I have to stop and recalibrate just to make you, sure I've got it right where you are. Are you, so. done? Are you done? Are you finished? Are, are I'm you never done. done. I mean, <laughs> it'd, be like, it'd be like HBN, HBO, uh, Netflix, you know, it's all right. Oprah, Oprah Network. <laughs> Oprah <laughs> only, only, only it'll be the Kimberly Network, you know? So. Yes. Yes, we got it. No, I'm I'm at ESPN. I'm happy. I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) I I just started, guys. I started in March, so I'm not going anywhere. Uh, We've all come. We've all come through the pipeline. We've all come through the Aspen pipeline. So, and real and real quick before we get started, uh, just a quick shout out. Um, We were we were all crushed last week when uh, our dear friend and ESPN colleague Von McClure. 
mm-hmm. um, who, co- who covered the Falcons uh, for ESPN's regional site and used to cover the Bears. Passed at 48 years old for a heart attack, Pete, from a heart attack, people. Um, he was a great guy. Please make sure to check in on on everybody. Yeah. And and just, you know, just let them know you're thinking about them because I, I didn't get a chance to do that with Vaughn. I'm sure a lot of people didn't, but he's one of the sweetest people I've ever met. Devastating blow. Yeah. And the, the remembrances on Twitter, I think when you think about how you'll be remembered. I think what you're seeing other people, what we've seen other people tweet and say in conversations about Vaughn really encapsulates what he meant and, and sort of what he's left behind, a, a big void, especially here at ESPN, but but elsewhere. Yeah, the only solace is that now he, he can be with his mom, his dad, yeah. and his brother. All yep. mm-hmm. So um, no, I echo all your sentiments. All right, so now let's, Let's uh, let's get to uh, why we have Kim on here. One of the best that does it um, in the NFL reporting game, analyst game. And Kim, you were just at the Panthers Bears game Sunday, and just want to get your thoughts because we see the Bears at five and one, and I, you know, I think all of us right now are like, okay, at some point they're going to level off. You know, they're gonna they're gonna come back down to earth. You just saw them. Are they legit? Their defense is legit. I can tell you that much. Their defense is legit, and. You know, even after the game, I talked to Danny Trevathan, and he was telling me, you know, we're the number one defense in the league, hands down. Um, and after that performance, I, I don't I don't know if I would say they are or not, but I can put them top three, top five. Like, I understand why he feels that way, because from jump, going into that game, you know, talking to Panthers coach Matt Rule, you know, Teddy is a guy. I even asked him on the phone, hey, when you are watching Teddy, what does it feel like? What are you thinking in that moment? And he's like, I am always calm when Teddy has the ball because I know he's going to do the right thing. And what did we see for the first series of that game? Teddy turns it over, it deflects off a receiver, and the Bears just got on them early. And Teddy never, Teddy and the offense never could quite, you know, settle into a rhythm. You know, Nick Foles has been a great addition over Mitch Trubisky, um, but offensively, they're still, what, like 25th overall? Like, they're not killing it offensively. So I'm not ready to crown the Bears as one of the best teams in the NFC. I've got to see their offense step up more. I'm good with that. <laughs> 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 were you some, but Jim, were you guys surprised by that Bears win? No, not at all. Um, look, I think Carolina has played above its level to this point in the season. And I give Matt Rule a lot of credit uh, as I've done in the past. And I think Teddy B, everyone is happy for Teddy B. And I think we've forgotten how good Teddy B was in Minnesota as he was ascending before that knee injury. And some of us weren't sure he would ever play again. So I think once he was in New Orleans and behind Drew Brees and whatnot, people forgot just how good of a quarterback he was. And now he has that opportunity. But that being said, there are some deficiencies with Carolina and they may get on a roll for a short period of time, but there are going to be those bumps in the roads as well. So I wasn't I wasn't surprised that they lost to Chicago. I think Chicago's a really good team. We forget, what was it, a couple of years ago, um, they were making their own run at a possible Super Bowl berth. So that defense is legit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still upset they took away Eddie Jackson's touchdown because uh, <laughs> Eddie, Eddie is that guy. He's like that. He's that he's guy. Cool. Yeah, he's the closest thing to Ed Reed in terms of ball hawking and going the other way that I have seen since Ed Reed. So, and Jim Ed Reed told me, I mean, he comped Eddie Jackson to him. 
He he, he yeah. said like that's that's the guy who plays most like me. And I got to give props to that secondary because one thing about Carolina, it's not just Teddy. They got home run hitters all over that yeah. receiving core, um, which leads us, Kimberly. Ah, well, one of those to, home run hitters, right? <laughs> yes. Where right. To, to a team that you covered for a long time, mm-hmm. um, the New York Jets. And, wow. of course, Robbie Anderson is one of the home run hitters in Carolina who used to be with the Jets who's singing Oh Happy Day, like <laughs> Lev Bell is singing Oh Happy Day, uh, and, and everybody else. Jamal but Adams. You know, <laughs> Jamal, Jamal Adams, Adams Steve Adams. McClendon, Steve McClendon, who was just mm-hmm. traded, drove from Miami to Tampa. Oh, my yeah. gosh. So, so, Kim, you know, we, we sit there and we look. Look, Adam Gase is not the dude, right? He's just not that guy. But – this did not start with Adam Gase, and you know kind of the inner, inner fabric of that organization. I mean, what is, what is the underlying issue of what's going on with that club? I mean, like you said, it's the, it really does start at the top. I mean, I've, I covered the Jets for almost six seasons, and I was a backup before then. So I was there. I saw, you know, the Mark Sanchez-Rex Ryan iteration of the Jets. And then, you know, with Mike Tannenbaum there. And then it was Idzik and, and Rex and Mark. And then Todd Bowles and McCagnan. And now this. It's just – and the Jets have gone about listening to, um, you know, the Wolves and listening to, you know, um, Charlie Casserly and, and hiring Corn Ferry and – listening to Peyton Manning, like they have, they have run the gamut as far as how they should find new leaders for their front office. And none of it has worked. Um, you know, there are just certain organizations that are run well and the Jets are not that. They've had, they've had opportunities to hire what we think could be offensive gurus and they decided that Adam Gase was the offensive guru that they needed to turn Sam Darnold around and to develop him. And what have we seen? Sam Darnold regressed and the offense regressed, and they're the only winless team in the NFL. But Kimberly, would you, I would make the argument to you that what you said there is part of their problem, that they've had the opportunity to bring in an offensive mind and maybe that's not what they need. And speaking to your point about from the top down, I agree with you 100 percent that until an owner knows exactly what he's looking, he or she is looking for Mm -hmm. and what the traits are they are looking for in a head coach, all that other stuff doesn't matter. So if you go in ahead of time saying I want an offensive coach, to me, you've already set back your organization. And I would ask it to you this way. What can Woody Johnson do? to turn this thing around because clearly, you know, I was talking to one of the Jets players this morning and and from my vantage point, it's all about a culture issue there. So I'm going to put you in charge of (laughs) correcting the New York Jets. What would you do? Uh, I would first, honestly, admit that I don't know as an owner, you have to first admit, I don't know anything about football or I just have, I, I have a lot of money. But I need to surround myself with people who know what they're doing. And I need to let football people do the football work. And I need to trust them. You yes, need everybody. leaders. You need leaders and you need to have a plan and say, we're sticking with this plan. The Jets are the only team that seems to rebuild every two years where you're hitting that reset button. So like in San Francisco, it's like, these are our guys. This is the head coach and this is the GM and they're going to be here five, six years and we're going to ride it out with them and see we're going to start with the beginning and we're going to go to the end and see this plan 
to fruition, right? The Jets always wanna reset in the middle of things. So they never do a complete breakdown of everything. Like right now, they need to they need to get if you have um if you have talent on this roster, if you have value, if you're a player that I can get a draft pick for, okay, you're gone. Uh, if I'm the owner, I want to ensure that we go 0-16. That's hard for fans to understand, but I need Trevor Lawrence. I'm sorry. Don't don't argue with me. I need him. Are you going to No, argue? no. You, no, no not we're, we're, we're not arguing. Okay. Nope. Do whatever. Like, do, do whatever you – and I know fans cannot root for their teams to lose for an unproven draft pick, but the Jets have gone through so many quarterbacks – and they they haven't found the one, and it's because because you got to look at the coaches. Like, are they also developing the guys? We're so quick to say this guy's a bum, Baker's a bum. You know, like Mark. I remember Mark Sanchez. Like, if Mark Sanchez was with an organiza- a different organization, how would his career have been different? I don't know. But yes, you do. I know. Yes, you do. <laughs> I, Stop. I I would think yes, it would. You do. You know how, Kimberly. Listen. Mark Sanchez is not Sam Darnold. Guys, there are a lot of people that don't think Sam Darnold's any good. There's a lot of people that don't think that didn't think Mark was any good back in the day. But okay, Mark okay. went some fourth winning drives to get them to the playoffs too, even though the team was loaded. I get much, that. Much, much, yeah, they had Thomas Jones. I mean, they had some growing men on that football team. But yes. but okay, so on that point, who's developing Sam Darnold right now? Uh, Adam Gase. Who who is, who is one of the most incredible stories in the NFL right now? Ryan Tannehill, who's gotten away from Adam Gase and is doing it in Tennessee. That team is not all Derrick Henry. Ryan Tannehill is playing very, very well. So if you're if you're the Jets, you 0-16 it. You, then you trade Sam Darnold. Get him to the Vikings. There's going to be some teams out there that need that quarterback. You get Trevor Lawrence. The interesting thing is the Joe Douglas factor. He just got there, right? So – but he's not able to change this culture. So is he going to be the guy, or do you just do a complete Cleveland Browns where they got rid of John Dorsey, even though he'd only been there for, what, not even a full year and a half? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do you completely gut it, and you bring in somebody different to work in simpatico with the coach? I mean, Joe D- – like, I can't make a case for firing Joe Douglas because he really <laughs> – he was just gifted this mess. Right. So I don't I don't think it's fair to fire that guy. Um, you know, you it's all about next season, right? Get Trevor Lawrence, do whatever you can to get that that uh, number one pick, and then get offensive line help, and then. But as far as a head coach, like I want a guy that I know can groom him, that can actually, like, really develop this kid because we've seen. You know, it's I feel bad for Sam Darnold, honestly. Because you can debate whether at USC he was any good or not and really deserved to be taken, was he number third overall or whatever. Um, You can debate that. But he had an opportunity with a a good head coach where he could have ascended he could have um, progressed. And instead what we've seen, it's been a detriment to his career. See, I would make the argument that, yes, you can go out and try and find a head coach to develop a quarterback. More important to me, though, is what staff are you putting together to 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 um, groom that quarterback? And I look no further than right up the road in L.A., where Anthony Lynn said, "I'm going to go out and get me a quarterbacks coach to develop whoever we draft in the first round at that position." And they drafted Justin Herbert, and they have Pep Hamilton there, who's doing a tremendous job developing um, Justin Herbert. And even now, to hear, for instance, down in Houston, 
that they're following the same script that they followed in the past where they've now hired the same search firm to go out and try and do it to try and do it all over again it's just it's that definition of insanity that we all know and that's more than anything what drives me nuts and and i keep coming back to the words that tony dungy said to me that the nfl truly needs to have a course where it teaches owners how to hire coaches because they have no clue right now for the most part and the one guy who does have a clue i'll give him credit on this was a team you just saw um, Carolina. Marty Herney has hired two head coaches prior to this one. Both of those head coaches went to a Super Bowl. And Matt Rule, by all accounts, seems to know what he's doing down in Carolina and will have this club competitive as well. Yeah, it's a copycat league. That's the problem. Everybody, you know, everybody wanted, oh, we got to get another Sean McVay. We got to get that offensive yeah. mind. A few years ago, defense was the trend. And you saw a lot of defensive coaches being hired. So, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I look around the NFL and there's a whole lot of leaders um, whose teams are at the top of the ranks. Okay, we're going to skip over the Washington football team and maybe we can circle back to, <laughs> to what they've done to uh, Dwayne Hassis. Can we just we don't want to dredge up too much of your history, but it's good. It's good. It's in your rearview mirror. The team you used to cover over a lot of right. bad football, man. It hey, that's back when I was in the NBA. I wasn't going to say it. the NBA, but hey, it, hey, it's good for you. It builds it builds your, it builds your character. character. There you go. But let's, let's, let's kind of stay on this, guys, because, Jim, we've talked about it here. Um, Jim and I call it the the owner's green book. And you just wrote a column on this where, you know, we actually list people as GM candidates, as team president candidates, as coaching candidates. And we're talking about Houston hiring Corn Ferry. You just talked about the Jets listening to Ron Wolf and Charlie Cashley. Wonderful, wonderful, great men, but they have not been mm-hmm. in the game, so to speak, for decades. Um, what what about just just figuring out again using the names we gave and start doing homework on some of these people? They're mainly diversity candidates, but we can go outside. Arthur Smith, you know, who's killing it down in in Tennessee. Find out more about him. Brian Dayball, some of these guys right now. Some of these teams, how they what they can do, Kimberly, to kind of get started to investigate some of the people that we know about who are qualified? Well, I think you don't wait until you have the vacancy, right? You know, we talk about owners not knowing football. It's it's knowing that Josh Allen has, in some ways, has almost done a 180. Like, he looks like a different player this season. And, you know, why is that? You know, like, who's who's really coaching him? Like, what's behind the scenes in, in Buffalo? And you mentioned Dable. Um, looking at some of the guys around the league, obviously Eric Bieniemy has just been at you know on the tip of everybody's tongue like the last couple of years in Kansas City. You know that's what I mean about owners have like looking at franchises and understanding like how how did they turn it around so quickly? Like what's the key behind behind that franchise? Um, so that when you have an opening like in Atlanta, and this is what now this is what ticked me off. Because when Atlanta fired Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov, you know, I I was surprised by Dimitrov, but I understand the Quinn thing. Um, But when Arthur Blank had said in the presser, you know, he was asked, is Ricky Morris going to have, is he going to be, you know, a true candidate um, for this head coaching job? Because we know how interim head coaches uh, fare. And his response, honestly, was, you know, Raheem goes 11-0. Clearly, he's going to be a candidate. And and I, I was sort of like, wait, 
Wait, did he just say that? And and Rich McKay was, was he in, joking on the when call. he said that because I don't so, know the context. So, it doesn't matter. So so exactly. But Rich McKay was on the virtual call too, and he started laughing. So what I wrote in the column was whether it was said completely in jest, or whether it was in in Arthur Blank's head. It's like I already know I'm not hiring one of Dan Quinn's assistants to be my head coach. Like that's not something you say, and I think it it, it sort of highlights the disparity and the the moving goalposts that um, black candidates on the coaching level and when it comes to personnel exec, they often feel like you have to be perfect. You can't just be, you can't have Adam Gase's track record as a head coach or as a coordinator and look at where his offensive rank historically and think as a black candidate, you've got a shot. Like those are just realities. And I think that was what was so troubling, whether it was said just as a joke or not, because Raheem Morris, like this is an opportunity for him. And if he goes in 11 and 0, it wasn't that, that Blank said, he will most certainly be my head coach. It's yeah, you know, he'll be a can't like he'll like obviously have a chance for the job. It's like the man could go 11 and 0 down the stretch after you had given so many votes of confidence to Dan Quinn after you're in the Super Bowl and blew a 28-3 lead and consistently since then have disappointed. You you were fine with that. And now this guy, the standard has been has been raised. And I think that's what's so frustrating and so unfair for people. So that's what that's what made me write the column because I was angry um, because it's just just the 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 playing field is not even. We know that as black people in America. Right. We get that. OK, but we are after the coaching summits in Atlanta. You know, they, they these guys are out there, although I make a point in the column like we see the same names of white candidates that get recycled and it's fine. But it's like, oh, Leslie Frazier, like, oh, he's too old, like he can't like, what? you know, or like. Caldwell, like, oh, I don't know. I think Caldwell, that window is closed. But we're going to let Matt Patricia talk about how there are so many problems that existed in Detroit before he got there. Pro really? You know, like, that's sort of the frustrating thing that I can empathize with with the candidates out there because it isn't fair. I, I just want to say, number one, I joke with you a lot, but that column was tremendous, like all of your work. So you did a tremendous job. And then speaking to the thing, your point about interim head coaches, our research staff came up with a great number that points out why I personally would have reservations about taking on an interim job. And between 2011 and 2019, there were 17 interim head coaches. Only four of those 17 wound up having winning records after taking over as the interim coach. So knowing, again, the standard that we are held to um, as black people, uh, we can't afford to have a losing record as an interim head coach, not only to take us out of the running for that job, but also consideration for future jobs because it will be held against us. So that was my point. So more power to Raheem winning his first game as an interim head coach. Just and 10 more, just 10 more to go and he'll be good. <laughs> it just, it, it just, I, I agree with you. Yeah, that and was as soon as they say infuriating. And if you think that Raheem's going to get a chance to say, if he goes 11, you know, if you think they're going to give him an opportunity, who do you want to be your GM so you can work simpatico with? Yeah, you got another thing coming. <laughs> Go ahead, Steve. Well, I was going to ask this. I, I'm really curious about Kimberly. Um, for people who don't know, I mean, everyone knows Kimberly, but who don't know her background, how you got into this journalism field? Because in college, it, you were not a journalism major. I know you went and got your master's. But mm -hmm. in college at Wesleyan, 
Tell me what you were thinking about for your career path at that point. Uh, at that point, I did like journalism when I was, I wanted to be a writer at that point, but I went to visit Wesleyan. It was the last school I visited on a two week tour and I just knew I had to go there and they did not have a journalism program, but something in my heart spoke to me about this small school in Connecticut. And I had that moment of, they don't even have a journalism program. Now what? And again, I think it's been a consistent theme in my life of, all right, I'll just do, uh, this interests me. So I was a psychology and African-American studies double major. And then I thought maybe I'll be a relationship counselor, who knows? And then I graduated and then I had to pay loans back to Sally Mae. And I was like, all right, I need a job. So I worked in finance for a year and a half. So the whole journalism thing, I mean, I got a very late start in um, compared to, to, compared to some of my colleagues. So yeah, and at Syracuse where I got my master's, I was a magazine major. I never ever intended of writing for a newspaper. I was like, oh, inverted pyramids, oh, that's so boring, I'm not doing that. Never written for a magazine um, in my life. So, but, but that magazine major, I think colors how I approach stories and how I, I wrote for newspapers for a long time. So yeah, that whole newspaper thing um, kind of led to the digital realm with Yahoo Sports and uh, now ESPN in front of the camera, so. And, and what was it about journalism that, that really attracted you? You know, I, was, I remember being five and six and writing my own stories and drawing my own pictures and, you know, having my parents look at them and say like, what do you think of this story? Um, so writing was always big. Um, when I was eight, I did want to be Robin Roberts. I did take, you know, the hairbrush and I was in the mirror. Um, so it's weird to see that the journey is sort of come uh, full circle a few decades later. But the, to me, I think I was really put on this earth to write. Like that to me is what speaks to me. I've been at ESPN since March. The thing that I'm most proud of is not that my mom can see me on NFL Countdown, as great as that is. Like the thing that actually I'm most proud of so far is the Bill Nunn feature that I wrote for The Undefeated. Um, because we did the Mon we did the Monday night video package and I knew that there was so much more of his story that couldn't fit in that five minute video. So I talked to more people and wrote it. So yeah, the writing, I just think being the best thing is being able to um, earn somebody's trust, have them open up, have them tell you things, get emotional or, or talk to you about something that may be private and then them trusting you to, to relay it in a way that's one accurate and then b you can put the reader there and i think tv we have the advantage of the visuals and the sound and other people talking and other people moving but when you're a writer you're creating all of that emotion and that feeling with your own words to me there's nothing better than that and and you said something really important there about earning a subject's trust mm -hmm. how do you go about doing that for the young journalists out there Oh man, it is tough during COVID uh, starting a new job, trying to do that. But in general, um, I think number one, you have to be genuine. Like I, I see so many, this is why I started off the podcast saying, like, I really do thank you guys for being who you are and doing the job the way you do. Because when I think of how I want other people to talk to me or talk about me, it's if they can talk about me the way they speak about you guys, then I know like, okay, I've, I've done it the right way because um, 
there's just something about being genuine, about being your authentic self. And when you approach other people, you know, one of my stories on the Jets was just, I saw a player tweet about a family member or a friend who passed away. And, you know, we, I did a whole story about how just that night, the guy came to him in a dream and he was just talking to me about all this stuff. And, you know, they, when we forget that these guys are human, just like us, when we think like they're just a commodity that should, that it's, that exists only for our, our entertainment, like, I think that's where journalists end up losing their way. So for younger journalists, understand you're no better than them. They are just like you. And if you approach them like, hey, I just want to get to know you, I think that serves you better than trying to be something you're not. Most of the executives and coaches we deal with are white. And to gain trust with them, even with both black coaches, players, whomever, besides that, because that's a little bit tougher nut to crack a little bit sometimes. You know, what are some of the things that you've had to go through in doing so? Uh, it is very tough when you factor in gender. Um, but more than that, it's just, you know, like you said, a lot of the coaches, a lot of the executives, owners, middle-aged white guys. So in life, this is, you know, I was a social psychology major. So it's like in life, we tend to gravitate to people who look like us. We tend to see ourselves in people who look like us and feel that, feel that sense of like connection. So I think in this realm of media where it can be, a, you know, football, everybody thinks they're carrying like, you know, state secrets around and like can't, you know, don't, you know, hide in the codes or something, nuclear codes. Um, everything is secretive. And I think it's it's been difficult. I think also starting my career in New York versus a smaller market where the media crushes smaller. You've got like, I remember talking I remember talking to a writer who years ago was down in Jacksonville and like talking about how a coach would bring him in and like they would watch tape together. They would watch film together. And like in the afternoon, it's like I never had the benefit of that. And I think it just, it's just time. I think, you know, um, the relationships are different now. I think also starting <laughs> my beat writing career, like first beat ever on the Jets. I think that was challenging because New York is just a little different, a little tougher, a little crazier. Um, but it is hard, and especially with COVID, starting a starting a job at ESPN where you're not in front of people. And listen, everybody knows I have such a great personality and I'm so well liked, but trying to develop relationships with people who you've never mm -hmm. met before, teams you haven't covered, you know, that's an added challenge. But when I talk to students, either virtually or over the phone, you know, I remind them that, you know, you're a rising senior, you just graduated, like, keep in mind, like, we're all sort of dealing with the same COVID restrictions, you know, you're not alone. in like, I have no idea trying to figure out this is uncharted territory for all of us. Um, so I think you have to stay the course, like stay true to who you are, like, I'm not suddenly going to turn into that, like, gotcha reporter that is out trying to like twist words or get that one quote and leave out the rest of the context, right? Like I'm not suddenly gonna do that to make a name for myself. And you know, it's a grind, it is a grind. And I think that's what young reporters have to understand that this is not easy. There's not, I mean, I think people get caught up in, you got, you know, we're on TV, um, you guys much more than me, but like get caught up in like, what they think is the glamorous side of the gig, but there's so much like we're newspaper writer people that happen to be on TV right now. Like there's decades of work that went into being able to put this podcast together and the resume that you have. 
it is not easy and it's not for the faint of heart. Like you got to grind for a while. You know, Kim, I was interested in two things real quick, and I've never asked you this about why you chose sports in terms of all the different areas in journalism you could have gone. What made you choose sports? And then I also wanted to talk to you about going into television as well, because we know how good Steve is on TV, particularly doing on the sideline and whatnot. Whereas me personally, I've never gotten comfortable with it and and don't think I'm very good at it. I wonder what that transition for you was like. Believe it or not, I was actually a tomboy who would wear my dad's clothes to school. So I always was into sports. Um, but so to me, like that, that growing up, I actually was such a diehard fan of like the Yankees and like the Knicks, like in the 90s Knicks and stuff like that. And becoming a reporter, I became less of a fan. Like I'm not into like. I did watch the Yankees during the playoffs, but not really. Like, I think once you are actually covering Yankees games and you're waiting for Derek Jeter to get dressed and Alex Rodriguez to put the chapstick on, like, I, for me, the fandom sort of died because the objective was to do the job, you know, to ask the questions that needed to be asked, and, you know, and, and forgetting that, like, since I was 15, I was watching Derek Jeter, right? Um, so I've always loved sports. I... I am somebody, though, who I'm definitely more interested in. Like you guys mentioned Calvin Beecham um, and, and seeing him on TV. Like I'm interested in what interests guys outside of football, too. So, yeah, sports has always been that thing. But if somebody looked in a crystal ball and said, you know, in, in 10 years, like you're not even going to be writing about sports, I'd be like, okay. I, that wouldn't shock me. Like I'm not that person that – like I like game day, right? Game day's cool. I know people, the sports writers who live and die by game day. I'm actually interested in the locker room conversations leading up to game day. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like, you know, and the locker room, like that scene, when you walk into it, win or lose, like soaking that in. As far as the TV <laughs> aspect, no, that's been a challenge. Um, I am I am particularly hard on myself, so maybe I'm doing better than I think, whatever. But it's funny, last week I was in Kansas City and I completely froze on camera. And it was like the word, it was like time stopped. And yet I was moving. And in that moment, I was like, is this really happening? Like, girl, you done forgot what you're supposed to say. Like, what in the hell? And it was a great, you know, now, mind you, I wanted to jump off the roof of Arrowhead, don't get me wrong, in that moment and in the hours after. But it was a great lesson for me, because we're always learning lessons, no matter how long we've been in this business, that the worst thing that I was afraid of, which was freezing on air and looking like a deer in headlights, it happened, and I'm actually better for it. Because the feedback from strangers on social media People were hitting me up on Instagram, my DMs on Twitter, like, you're so great. The way you kind of like still were able to get your train of thought and you had the smile on your face the whole time. Like that was a good reminder that there's a lot of good still in the world. And because I honestly thought some jacked up website was going to say like ESPN reporter has a stroke on camera. Like I was like (laughs) waiting for this horrible moment. And instead, it was just a good reminder of like, you like take it easy. Like you have never done really done your first network job on TV is at a place like ESPN. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, And to to mess up in that way in your fourth game, like, okay, cool. Like, how do you rebound? You know, you know what I mean? Like, that's just, that's the lesson. And, and um, I'm glad that it happened because you have to sort of understand that 
you know, we're not perfect. And when you have that standard for yourself or you want to always nail everything, you can be sadly disappointed because we are just human and we all make mistakes. Well, they were more faster to you than they were to me. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I got roasted. It, and I've done it more than once. It happens. It, it, it will happen. And, to, and just remember this. I, I would say this doing the TV stuff, you know, because I never had a TV lesson in my life, right? I've never had a TV lesson. So I watch naturally and, gifted, sir. No, You're just no, naturally no. Gifted. I watch. No, I watch. So I, I sat there and I watched because I'm a news junkie, right? So I watched Anderson Cooper, right? He's my journalistic muse and how he would handle a one-on-one and the next he'd be in Haiti after an earthquake and then he'd be moderating a political panel. And I'm like, okay, this is how, this mm-hmm. is how he does his job. I was listening to what he was saying. And that's, so I would try to model stuff after that. And then once you just kind of know your stuff, it, it, it's a little bit easier in terms of, like you say, getting familiar with coaches. Like if I have to go to a team where I don't really know the culture or the coaches, it's going to be more difficult than if it's, it's a team I'm familiar with. So you got it, girl. You're you're killing it. We've got we've got to let you go. But I do have um, two things. When you said you were visiting your colleges, did you visit Howard? I did not. I did not. And it's funny because I had a conversation in Charlotte with a girlfriend that I that was my roommate at Syracuse, and I said it's funny because when I was at Wesleyan, I was like, oh, I'm gonna send my kid here. But when we had this conversation over dinner this weekend, I was like, yeah, if I have a kid. We're going straight to an HBCU. I haven't told my husband this yet, but we're going straight to an HBCU. I don't know what it is, you know? Um, but I, you know, I went to an academic program. The goal was to sort of groom young leaders of color. And so to go to these predominantly white schools and get entrance and stuff like that. So it is funny to see once you come out of that experience, like, okay, you know, we're gonna make sure like some HBCUs are on uh, my, co- my kids at college trip list. Okay, and Jim. Did you also, did you notice this? When Kim was talking about like her column and the black coaches and stuff, the New York came out of her. She sounded just like Wendy Williams. And then how once she came out of that, she was very refined. No, I know. I know oh, you, were, you were hitting it. You were hitting it. You were hitting it, girl. When she got I, when she got serious, the finger came out. She didn't realize. Because the, the, the Brooklyn comes out. I, I try to calm it down. I do. I do try to calm it down. Sometimes she gets away from me, and I, I forget where I am. So, <laughs> well, you know, can I, we? I have, I have, wait, before we go, I, she knows I have to give her one zinger before we go. One, so, only one. Just one. Really? Only one. Okay. I'm, I'm only going to give this one. But let's talk chicken wings for a second, Kimberly. Right. What? What's right? to say? What's to talk about with chicken? I'm wings? not in on this. I'm not okay. in on this. What is it, Jim? Tell, tell me, tell me the best part of a chicken wing, Kimberly. Everybody knows the flats are the best part. Like that's not like I don't. This is not even up for discussion. And if it's like the wing and it has all three pieces, like the little flat and the little like guy at the end, the little tiny thing, the little tiny thing is the best part. Then the flat, you throw the drumsticks away because the the little like yeah, that guy he's not good. Wait, wait, I'm wait, the you perfect. Throw- yeah, I don't want any of that. Yeah, I don't want, yeah, we just throw that out. So I'm the perfect Jim? person to like have like dinner with, like appetizers, because I will eat the flats. You can have the little drumstick thing and and we're good. Everybody, like, like this is Howard. not up for debate. You should have gone to Howard. You should have gone to Howard, man. There is not this, even any meat on that piece of the bone. The flat has tons of, oh, the little guy, that, yes. <laughs> I'm telling you. She I'm like that little pointy not... end, 
And the first yes, time I called her out, enough, I, yes. I got the, I got the look. I got the look. And fortunately, I got it on camera too. So I still have that picture. <laughs> that is right. I got, I'm not gonna let you shame me for this take because it's not even a hot take. People will agree with me. The flat piece and the little guy. The Find them. Find one. <laughs> that, is bad. that is as bad as Amy Trask saying ice cream is better with sprinkles. I don't know which is worse. Exactly. Exactly. You and the chicken That's wings or ice cream with sprinkles. Oh, well, see, you're a sprinkle. Because ch chocolate sprinkles make ice cream better. So I feel like, again, this really isn't up for discussion, guys. I don't. I don't we're done. I don't, we're okay. done. <laughs> so that's love the last you, Kimberly. Time I'll be on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We love you, Kimberly. Keep doing your Thank thing. You. We're proud of you. We are so proud of you, man. Keep doing Absolutely. your thing. Thank Absolutely. You. I appreciate it, guys. Love you, dear. Love you, too. Steve, I was sitting right next to Kimberly when she, um, let's just say when she was very particular about her wings. And uh, it kind of threw me because I've never seen anyone that favors that part of a chicken wing. But let me say this, the only thing right now that's more unappetizing than that part of a chicken wing are these New York Jets, you know? Oh, damn. <laughs> the league's, well, I mean, listen to, listen to the numbers. They're the league's only winless team, and they're the only club to be shut out this year. Five of their losses have been by double digits, the most in the league this season. And lastly, let's look at this. We talk about, you know, Adam Gase is this, this offensive guru. Let's look at their NFL ranks right now. Points per game, 12.5, last. Passing yards per game, 171.3, last. Red zone percentage, 23.1, last. And then lastly, let's go to this. Of Adam Gase's 40 losses as a head coach, 31 have been by 10 points or more. So nearly eight out of every 10 losses that he has had has been by double digits. And yet we have diverse coaches, minority coaches out there who can't get a shot. But someone like Adam Gase not only loses his first job, gets fired, but gets a second job behind it and is still being retained. I'll let yeah, you we, know we, now. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, like, you know, we can talk about diverse coaches not getting a shot. The fact that any coach would, you know, th there's very few teams that would keep coach for that long with, with those types of numbers, Jim. That's that's absolutely embarrassing. But yet, you talk to people around the league, you have and I have, they do not think Ace is going to get fired this year. They think he is going to make all 16, that this is just going to be a, a hollow conversation. Maybe they end up with the number one pick. But this this is an absolute disaster. We heard Kimberly talk about all the people the Jets have talked to have steered, who have steered them in the wrong direction, personnel wise, and head coach. And it, it, it's just, I feel bad. I feel bad for Jets fans. I mean, I really do because they clearly they clearly look aimless. Um, so unless they just decide to go ahead and tank it, which it looks like they're doing, that that might be the first thing where it looks like there's an actual blueprint. But we talk about the Jets. Jim, you look at this division, you talk about diverse coaches, and it's someone you and I don't talk about enough. That's Brian Flores. And, of course, you know Chris Greer is the general manager down there, one of two black general managers in the NFL. They are 3-3. Three and three. They are a game behind the Buffalo Bills. They are a half game up on the New England Patriots. They're in second place in the division. And, Jim, they've got a bye. But you look at their upcoming next six games. 
the Rams, Cardinals, Chargers, Browns, Jets, and Bengals, they have got a shot. They have got a shot to get to eight wins coming out of that. Now, down the stretch, it's a murderer's row, Chiefs, Patriots, Raiders, and Bills. I mean, that's a tough schedule. But the way they play, again, I watch a lot of their games. They have not been dusted in any games. They they freaking deal. I mean, they are Ernie – you know, they're Ernie Shavers in the ring now. They're they're you may not be Muhammad Ali and Ken Norton, but they're gonna break your jaw and they're gonna do some stuff along the way. And with Brian Brian Flores, the culture that he has established, when you see the things that Ryan Fitzpatrick and those guys are doing on the sidelines and the way they pull for each other, um, it's something that we're not seeing with very many teams this year. Props to the Dolphins. And frankly, you know, we don't we don't cheer for teams, but it's kind of hard not to cheer for what they, with you know, what they're going through this year with with all the crap, because they're one of those organizations that just could not figure it out, and maybe just maybe they have. You know, Steve, what's interesting? I didn't realize this until I started looking at the numbers that this is the third time in the last four years that they have been five hundred or better after six games. The previous two times they finished seven and nine and six and ten. This does not have the feel of a seven and nine or a six and ten. They're building right now. And when you look the first two weeks, they struggled. They only averaged 19.5 points per game. You know, um, they were giving up 26 a game. Now, over the last four games, they're scoring 30 a game and giving up only 15. So, and their turnover differential has improved by a plus four over that period. So, they're coming together now. And look, one thing we know about the guy who's quarterbacking them right now is Ryan Fitzpatrick, is that when he's on, he's on. And right now he's on a hot streak. You know, he's had consecutive games with three plus TD passes for the first time since, you know, weeks one to three in 2018. And um, he's just playing with such a confidence right now. And I think everyone is. And Ryan's athletic character and just his character as a man, he showed me a lot to the way he handled Tua going in late in that game on Sunday and trying to lead cheers for Tua on that field. I don't know that they're you know, is a better um, veteran for someone like Tua at this point. And, um, yeah, it's easy to root for guys like that and for teams like that. And they're going to be a lot to handle uh, going down or as we continue on because they are not a team, as you mentioned, who is going to ever take it easy. They play hard, you know, and we always – I know that's such a cliche, a team plays hard. That team plays hard every week. And they give what they've got. And they're going to be fun to watch down the stretch. So I look forward to it. And yes, Chris Greer and Brian Flores deserve a lot of credit. And looking ahead, Steve, you know what they've got in the draft, too. They've got Houston's <laughs> Houston's, Houston's first, first and round. second pick. You know? Jim? Hey, man, some teams are the gift that just keep on giving. You know, that team, that that. <laughs> The Dolphins franchise has got a chance to really get right, and um, they're doing it the right way. So props to them. Yeah, we got to get Brian Flores on the show. We, I'd, I'd love to catch up with him. He's such an engaging guy. He really seems to be opening up to a lot of people. I mean, he even was joking with Cameron Wolf, uh, ESPN down in Miami, saying, "Hey, hey, Cameron, you made a good argument in the in, in you know in your article about why I should have played two of the week before we blew out the Niners in the final two or three minutes." So I listened to you and I put him in for the final two minutes in the blowout game against the Jets. So, you know, I, we'd love to get Flo on. Uh, we got a call wait, wait, so, down there. So, Steve, you're saying there's a former Patriots coach who actually has a little bit of personality? Yeah. Mm, How about wow. that? 
Who knew? Well, hey, look, O'Brien had personality. He just had a little yeah. too much of it. Well, we want we, we want to talk about what kind of personality he had, right? right. Yeah. That's right. Well, Jim, you know, another great show. We can't thank our friend Kimberly Martin enough. I mean, it was Absolutely. just great having her on. She's a rising star in the game, people. Uh, if you don't see her enough or read her enough, please do because she is a, she's a rock star. Um, we love seeing the growth in her, and we can't wait to see her reach the mountaintop. You know, you know what? Uh, she, she she humbles me because she will take something I've e- I've either written about or I'm going to write about, and I see how I do it, and then I see her write it her way, and I'm like, damn, why didn't I think of it? Why didn't I think of that? Because hers is just so good. <laughs> You know, so that's that's to, that's what the that's what the tip of the chicken wing will do for you, Jim. Uh, <laughs> then I need to start getting on the tip of that chicken wing because she's extremely talented. And you're right; um, she has no ceiling in this business, so it's going to be fun to watch where she where she goes. All right, Jim, bring us home. Well, people, it's that time. We 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 always say this, and and we repeat it. Please subscribe, leave a review, leave a comment. Tell us what we can do for you, what you're looking for, because we want to give you more of what you're funking funking for. for. So please um, let us know what you're looking for, and uh, we will definitely try and get it in there for you. All right. For Jim Trotter, I'm Steve White. And for our producer, Thomas Warren, the Howard Mob, we're out. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.